need to do the reading? Everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, today's reading is from Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Do not murder. Did you have that memorized? That was good. That was good. Okay, you may be seated. Yeah, so if you would like to do the Bible reading and you want short, next, uh, in two weeks, we're going to be doing, we will not be doing the, uh, I'll be off this next week. Uh, the elders and I will be going away for retreat, and on this retreat, our whole goal is just to pray, see what God's doing among us as a church, and just seek his face. And so y'all be in prayer for us this next Sunday. And uh, so then in two weeks, what I meant to say is in two weeks, if you would like to have a short reading, and you'd like to get up here and do that, you need to do that. Let me put it that way. You pray about that. Let's pray. Yeah, so right now, this is the time. That I know we got a lot of new people here this morning. So before we start with our sermon, this is an opportunity for you to pray right now. So I'm going to kind of lead you through a prayer. And what we want is we want you to hear from God, not from me. So in order to do that, you've got to have our hearts right. So let's just let's pray together a little bit right now. So God, we thank you for the privilege to come together to study, to worship, to fellowship, to commune. God, we get to celebrate with baptisms this morning, and we're just so grateful for all the wonderful things that you have done, that you are doing, and that you will do among us. So right now, would you pray something like this? God, will you open my spiritual eyes and ears? Help me to see and hear what you want me to see and hear. Can you pray that? Encourage my heart where I need encouragement. Challenge me where I need to be challenged. Comfort me where I need comfort. And convict me where I need conviction. Scott, we pray that this time right now that it will come under your kingdom authority rule, that you will reign and rule over everything that's about to happen right here and right now, and that through all of this, the sermon, the, the communion, the baptism, that you would stir our affections for you, God, today as we celebrate your word. If you agree with that, shout out amen. amen. All right, so we have got another tough one. So if you've been going through this, we're going verse by verse, the book of Exodus, and if you've been going through the Ten Commandments, you might recognize something that I recognize. That Okay, so it starts off, you know, as, as expected, you know, we're going to honor God, have no other gods, have no idols, you know, honor the Sabbath. And then all of a sudden, it kind of gets pretty tough. It gets from honor the Sabbath, and it goes into honor your father and mother. And that was kind of tough last week. Here's the thing. I have preached through the Ten Commandments before. This is not my, it's not, there's not anything here surprising me. But I will say this. I am surprised at how heavy this has become. And here's what I can see. I can see that it's not just going to be heavy, you know, this coming Sunday. But, I mean, as we finish out the Ten Commandments, this is going to get just heavier and heavier and heavier. And I see that some of you keep coming back Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. So you know, as we've been going through this, it gets pretty heavy. And you know that in the future, that's what our expectation is. Now, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. You know, we're looking at the Christian Standard Bible. That's our primary text we always use and that I preach from. It's kind of... So the King James Version, here's what I would tell you. The King James Version is a great version. It's a great interpretation. So I'm not, I'm not knocking the King James Version by any stretch of the imagination. Please do not misunderstand me in this. There is some unfortunate translations in the King James Version. Now, let me, in saying this, with so many people here, I've got to help you understand something also because I hear this all the time. 
the Bible's only been translated one time. Okay? It was translated from Hebrew to English. It was translated from Greek to English. I hear people all the time, well, you know, the Bible's been translated so many times and all that kind of stuff. It hasn't. It's one time. From the original to what you read today. Now, this was back in 1611. This was one of the first English translations, okay? So the unfortunate thing is that some of, some of the time when they translated this over into English words, that some of those words today, you know, we, we've, any, anytime we move away from the King James Version, historically, people are like, oh, that's heresy. That's a bad translation. When in fact, most of those translations that I've heard preachers get up and preach against were actually good translations, but they did not line up very well with the King James translation. Now listen, I could preach a whole sermon over this and y'all would be sitting here with your eyes going cross and man, I wish you'd preach about something else if you wanted me to. So listen, I want to tell you this much. I'll tell you this. If you have been taught that the King James Version is the only version all that understand, that I've been there. If you'd like to discuss that with me, I will sit down and have lunch with you and we will discuss that. But let me just, let me just tell you this, okay? Just as a side note, my professors that taught Greek and Hebrew studied it their whole life. I not had a single one of them say, this is the translation you should have. None of them are like, oh, this is the best translation. So I will tell you that much. If you don't, you don't take my word for it, I can, tell you, I can show you some of the greatest Greek and Hebrew scholars we have in the world today, and I will, you cannot find one of them that's like, this is the translation. You use this one, no other. So that being said, Thou shalt not kill. The unfortunate thing right here, see, like I, I see people today all the time say, well, you know, how can God say, you know, you got to go kill these people and go kill those people whenever in the Bible, one of the Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not kill. It's not the, what it says. It says, okay, let's do Hebrew then. Hebrew right here, it's two words. You read from right to left right here on Hebrew. And what these two words right here is low and it's, I mean, it sounds like you're hacking when you say Hebrew. It does not, it's not tartax like we would see in English. It's like, well, what is two words? And the two words, if you look at this in Hebrew, is no murder. That's it. No murder. That's it in Hebrew. Doesn't say thou shalt not kill, okay? So, so whenever people say, oh, you know, well, the Bible says thou shalt not kill, then, then it's contradicting itself whenever God's telling these people to go kill. Okay, so let's talk about murder, and then we'll talk about the killing thing, okay? So murder is a willful, premeditated act of aggression that seeks to terminate a life out of anger, malice, or selfish gain. So that's murder that has a premeditated intention to destroy someone else's life. So killing is something that's very different than that. Killing is, we'll talk about that in just a moment. Our culture, though, as far as murder is concerned, the culture that you live in, the average 18-year-old when they graduate from high school from watching television, video games, and movies, they have witnessed 100,000 murders. Now, somebody, now the argument is, oh, but those aren't real, though. I mean, those video games aren't real, and those movies, that's not real, and everything like that. So, unless, hey, so there's a lot of controversy about this in the culture you live in, that it does have negative effect, it doesn't have negative effect, and, that, and I'm not going to argue any of that. Here's what I can tell you. That, to me, is alarming. Regardless of what, what kind of effect you may think it has, because here's what I know. I can't speak for all the children in the world we have today, but I can tell you this much. When I watch a movie, and it's got a lot of murder in it, when I get through watching that movie, my soul is hurting. It's messed me up. I have weird dreams that night. 
So I mean, like, I'll just, I'll just throw it out there and let you think about that and consider that. You, because I, I know, many of you got young children, and you got them playing the video games, all this kind of stuff. You know, I'm like, how do we regulate that? What do we do about that? Here's what I can tell you. We need to do a lot of serious prayer, praying about that. Because if we go along with all the rest of the culture, man, I tell you what, our kids will end up, by the time they're 18 years old, they'll have witnessed 100,000. Okay, so I got, like, we, we've got a lot of ground to cover and a short time to cover it, and we've got baptisms and all that wonderful stuff, and then we've got kids back there taking care of the little babies. So being conscientious of them, i got to move quickly right through this, okay? So here's what I want to show you. So once again, I'll be glad. Send me an email. Say, David, I want to know more about that, whatever. I will give you the breakdown and show you more, talk to you about this more if you're interested in this. You have to understand this. I just want to just skim over this and just kind of give us a robust, robust understanding from biblical theology what killing is and what murder is. So people say, why did God say thou shalt not kill, but yet then you've got all these other killings in the Bible. So it's called justified killing. And here it is from a biblical perspective. Once again, people can argue this, and I realize that the culture that we live in is ultra sensitive about this, and like we can't even kill a bug. You know what I mean? It's just that bad. So I understand, I'm all aware of all of that. But I want to tell you this, once again, doesn't matter how I feel, doesn't matter what I think, I believe the Bible is the authoritative inerrant word of God. If the Bible says it, then I just gotta deal with it. I mean, my feelings just gonna have to deal with it, okay? So I mean, we can sit here and talk about, well, this is why I think this is right, and I think that's wrong. That's great, let's do that, you do that. But what does it come down to? What does the Bible say? That's all I want to do is show you what the Bible says. So, real quickly, justified killing. For capital punishment, there's capital punishment for murder. So look at this. This is, I want to show you this real quick, though. Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds the blood, this is the, this is the covenant that God made with Noah. When Noah's about to go out and start this whole new world. Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man's blood, his blood shall be shed. For God made man in his own image. And that's the key right here. That's, that's the key. We'll, we'll nail that down in just a moment. So there's capital punishment for certain sins, adultery in the Bible, and then blasphemy. You see, these are Old Testament verses right here. I'll give you that. Then there's warfare. So this is what we're talking about right now. How can God justify killing other people if it says, thou shalt not kill? Okay, once again, thou shalt not murder. And the killing right here, God commanded, he did command his people to destroy the Canaanites in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 16 through 18. He did command that. Yahweh told them, go in there and destroy all those people. Now, once again, we look at that and say, man, that's just, that, you know, there's all these, these questions we can ask and work about this. Okay, so listen, there is volumes and volumes of books called Christian Ethics that go into depth talking about all of this kind of stuff. And here's what I can tell you. When you get through reading it, you don't know any more you knew than you started. As you just, it was just a circular argument right there. And that's why I come back to, okay, I believe the inerrant, authoritative word of God, the Bible says it, then I just got to deal with it, okay? That's where I'm at. That's where I fall on this. And then self-defense. There's an instance. So it doesn't say, it doesn't say explicitly self-defense in the Bible, okay? But there is an instance in Exodus chapter 22, verse 2 through 3, where God says that it's okay to, for self-defense, to kill a thief and to break in, if the defender is guilty of bloodshed, if it happened at nighttime. <laughs> I'm just telling you what the Bible says, okay? I, I don't know. Some of y'all right now, wasn't it? it's daytime. I don't know, okay? Yeah. Government, also, this is a number. This is a, so 
Here's our problem today in our culture, is that whenever you start talking about stuff like this, especially me up here in front of you in this setting, is it becomes very politically charged. Politics just roll right into this, and then like we, we take this political American view of Christianity, and we try to weave in what we think the Bible should be saying. Okay, so listen. It doesn't matter what political way you sway on this, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not trying to win the Republicans or the Democrats or anything like that. I'm just saying this. This is what the Bible says. And what we should be praying is that, that our governmental leaders, the ones who make the laws, that they will fall in line with this. Regardless of how we feel about it. I mean, it's, now listen, it's, again, it's a sticky, tough subject. I get it, okay? But it says that the government's the one that's to bear the sword. Romans, this is, that's not New Testament anymore, my friend. That's New Testament. And it says... For he is a God, for he is God's servant, speaking of the, the governmental leaders, for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And then there's also divine judgment execution. Once again, we're still in the New Testament right here where God executes his divine judgment on some people that had lied, Ananias and Sapphira, who had lied to the early church, saying, you know, just they made a lie up about giving their money somewhere where they didn't give it. So there's, there's those to start with. But here's what I want us to come back to this morning as we unravel this whole thing about murder. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. This is a creation story. This is the creation poem. It's a poem, by the way, in Hebrew. Then God said, let us make man in our image. So Look at this, according to our likeness, and they will rule, so this difference between us and all the animals, the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth and its creatures will crawl. So we are made, your dog, as sweet as your dog is, does not have a soul. I'm not saying you won't be in heaven, I don't know that, okay, I haven't been there. The dog, there might be dogs, animals in heaven, there's gonna be a new heaven, a new earth, there's probably gonna be animals on the new earth, okay? So I used to be like, no, there's gonna be any dogs in heaven. I don't know, I hadn't been there now, okay? I got a little older, understand that. But here's what I know. Your dog and your cat, they don't have, no, none of the animals have souls. That's why the wild animals are out there today killing each other. Right? And they're out in the, that's what they do in the wild, you realize that, right? You know why they can kill each other and they eat their, their own children and stuff like that? Because they don't have a soul, they don't have a conscience. Man, I mean, like it's, okay, I'll stop right there. <laughs> so for you men that go hunting and everything like that, you're biblically good, okay? <laughs> I'm at the right church, I'm, I like that preacher. So here we go. Number one on your outline. You got your outline there? You want to fill that in this morning? Follow along with me. Unauthorized violence against another person is an assault against the image of God they carry. That changes everything right there. That unauthorized violence. Listen, I'll take something right now. Some of y'all right now, man, I'm good. I am good. Because listen, because how many times, let me ask you this. How many times have you heard somebody say, oh, I'm going to go to heaven. I mean, I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't. Um, I don't steal, I'm, an, I'm a good person. How many times have you heard that? Okay, so if you've said that, your feelings are going to get hurt this morning. Okay, because Jesus is going to flip it on us. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount flips it around there, and if what, we, what he does, he shows us, oh, you're not so good after all. Okay? So whenever we do any kind of unauthorized, key right here, violence against another person, 
The difference is that what we're doing is we are attacking the image of God in that person. That's huge. Now, Genesis chapter 4, verse 8. We got Genesis chapter 3 is where the fall happens. That's wherever Adam and Eve sin. It's just in the next chapter that one of their sons murders the other son. Doesn't take very long for things to start unraveling here on this world, does it? One chapter later, their own children. The people who walked with God, I mean, man, they saw God. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, like you would think, okay, mom and dad, they walked with God, but they, we would not have problems. So, once again, I want to tell you something. We got to come back to this and roll back into this once again. Just because your kids are sitting in church does not mean they're going to turn out to be A-plus citizens. Okay? I mean, you can bring your kids to church. That's great. Should be doing that. They should understand what understanding what being around a fellowship of other believers is all about. All oh, that's great and everything like this. But the most important thing you can do for your kid, I can sum it up in one word. Pray. That is the most important thing. Because listen, you can talk circles around your children. You will never change their mind. Especially when they get to be teenagers. They, oh, man. But only God can change anybody's mind. And he changes the heart. And he will put a want to inside your kids' hearts that they may not have right now and right here today. That's the most important thing you do for your children is to pray for them. So uh, Cain goes out. You know how the story goes, man. He gets jealous. He gets envious of his brother Abel because Abel, God accepted his sacrifice. So Cain solves the problem by killing his brother, murdering his brother. That's how he solves the problem. Boy, I tell you what, our flesh will mess us up. Look at this. Okay, so once again, this sheds some light on things that you've seen in this culture and you wonder, why are people like that? Here's the answer to some of those questions right here. Whoever finds me finds life. The Bible makes it very clear. There's a difference between life and death. When you find God, you find life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Yes, it's all about life. So right here he says, whoever finds me, they find life. Whoever, and they receive favor from Yahweh. But those who miss me injure, oh my, that's so good. God is saving us from ourselves. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there. I mean, like, you say, oh, wait, you know, I don't really like the Ten Commandments. There's grace all through the Ten Commandments. If everybody follows the Ten Commandments, nobody's going to be murdering. Nobody's going to steal your stuff. Nobody's even going to talk bad about you behind your back if they follow the Ten Commandments. We're all doing that. You realize that, right? There's grace all through it. Wonderful grace. So right here it says, they miss me. They injure themselves. Because if you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. Look at this. All those, you, you look at the Bible. Say amen if you look at the Bible. All who hate me love death. So it's like, why, is our, why, is, why are our top movies about death and murder? Why are those the things that we are attracted to the most? Why are those the highest rated when it comes to music and movies and entertainment and video games, why, why is this always the top thing right here, death? Why are we attracted to death? Well, the Bible says right here is that whenever we're missing God, we're moving away from God, then we're going to be moving towards death. Fascinated with all things death, you know, skulls with snakes all going through the skull and all that kind of stuff. Oh, man, that's cool. Well, that's, listen, if that's all cool in your heart right there, I can tell you right now, that's your flesh moving you in that direction, man. Careful with that. If you really listen, it's just as simple. If your heart's tuned into God, you're moving towards God, you're going to be moving away from that junk, and you're going to be moving towards life. So, got a question for you this morning. Okay? You see the question? Why do we respond in anger when someone hurts us? You ever thought about that? I and mean, what's the reason? Get down to, why do we do that? Number one, 
It's our main problem, pride. Every single one of us suffers from that problem right here. Every one of us in this room right now, we suffer with pride from one extent to the next. I mean, there's one level or another, you got a pride problem. I know you got a pride problem because your heart's beating and you're breathing right now and you're wrapped around with skin. It's called flesh. It's your sin nature. Every single one of us got this problem. So whenever someone hurts us, the reason we get mad, first of all, there's defense mechanisms, there's self-righteousness, there's all kinds of things in that. But the more pride I've got, the more I'm going to answer back with anger and force. How dare you? You're going to come up against me? Oh, well, let me tell you something. You're gonna, you got a fight on your hands now. Does that sound like pride? Or did you ever see Jesus do that? I read all the way through the gospel and never saw Jesus do that one time. I saw the strongest most powerful, manless dude who ever lived, hang on a cross and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is grace, and that is mercy, and that is true power right there. Not bullying, loud, strength, and meanness. That's not it right there. So right here it says, that I'm saying this, number one, it's our pride, and the second reason we get angry when people hurt us is because we don't really believe that God's in control. If I truly believe God's in control, and I'm really living under his kingdom authority rule, then I know that nothing comes into my life without first passing through his hands. If it comes through his hands, it comes a great meaning and purpose. And I know this, that in the end, I don't, I'm not, we're going to see this in the Bible this morning. It's not up to me to exact revenge. I'm not the one to get the revenge. When I do that, I take God's spot. I get in his chair. I'm trying to take over his throne when I try to make everything right. Whoo, why did you come to church this morning? All right, so how do you think people reacted the first time they heard the Sermon on the Mount? So Jesus takes everything that they thought that they thought that was good about themselves, and he flips it on their head. I can imagine, there's a, I mean, like, okay, so let's just look at this one right here. So this is, this is Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. He's going to talk about the commandment you and I are looking at right now, the murder commandment. And he's going to say, okay, this is how this applies to you in the new covenant. Look at this. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. So he's talking about Exodus 20, 13. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. Everybody's, everybody's listening right now and they're going, mm-hmm, yeah, we've heard that. That's right. But I tell you, it's time to update that. He comes with an update, Okay. The reason he comes with updates is because he's God. The first one that wrote, he's the one that wrote the first one, okay? So he's going to update this one. He's got the authority, the only one that's got the authority to put the update in there, okay? So I'm updating this one, okay? Everyone who is angry. Is there, is there a single person in here this morning who has never gotten angry? <laughs> I just go up here and preach then. I saw that hand go up. You joking? I know you look at his wife just sitting there going, no, he didn't. We all struggle from that. Whoever is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Look at the progression right here. Whoever insults, so we're going just from angry. Whoever insults, now it's going from anger to saying something with his brother or sister will be subject to the court. So now we go from judgment. Do you see the progression? Whoever says, you fool, that means, now, I know we look at that. (laughs) It's like a joke in our culture. We call our friends fools, you know. So for them, though, what this meant in the Bible, in biblical language, a fool is someone who did not believe in God. So it says when you say to someone else that they are a non-believer, they're 
man, I don't know how to do this. If you tell somebody, well, you just go to Hades, okay? Like, so you, 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 I know we make light of our words, but there is. And the Bible will be held accountable for our word. All of our words matter, and it's huge when you say stuff like that. Anybody that says something like that will be subject. Do y'all see that? Do you see the progression? Judgment, court, that's the worst right there, isn't it? So right here, what he's, I mean, he's like, when he's saying that, I mean, everybody's like, yeah, I heard that commandment. And then when he gets to saying this part, here I can see everybody going, what? You mean like, I've broken that commandment if I just get mad at somebody? You mean I've broken that commandment if I just say that about somebody? If I say, I mean, I have broken that commandment, and Jesus, listen, here's what it is. By the time he gets through with the, with the Sermon on the Mount, he pretty much points out that we've all been murderers and adulterers and thieves. I can't imagine anybody walking around that day and going, man, that was a great sermon. We're all murderers and adulterers and thieves. Wonderful. I mean, I was thinking on that day, when they first heard that first time they heard, that was rough for them. That was hard. But see, here's the thing. Jesus is the only one that brings a solution for our murdering, thieving, adultering hearts. He's the one that brings a solution. He's the one that brings grace. So listen, don't sit here this morning and go, man, David, that is so, you are getting so legalistic on this. Let me tell you something. It's full of grace. Here's the good news. Under the blood, we are all saved. Under the blood, we've been forgiven of all of our sins. That's the wonderful thing about God's grace. That's the wonderful thing about the update. The update is this, is that Jesus come, came to die on the cross for your sins. We can have communion, communion with him. We can see people get baptized in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Men experience new life in Christ. Man, this is the good part of it. The bad part is, yeah, we've all sinned. We all are dirty, rotten sinners. Okay, I got that. But now I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm holy. I'm sanctified. I'm a born-again child of God now. There's the grace. There's the good news in this. So, man, this I wish did not happen in the church, but it does. And I have been guilty of it just as much as anyone else. Assassination with the tongue signifies a hidden attitude like envy, hatred, and anger that aligns the heart with a root of murder. So Jesus is always bringing us back to our heart, our motive. So, like, you know, we look at things in our world, in our culture, and the world that you live in, and we say, man, you know, like, so these people that really serve God, like, we think, man, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, we get to heaven, man, they're going to have these great, big old, whatever, you know, rewards. We don't know. There may be people that you did not know in this world that gave everything, gave their life to serve Jesus, and they were unheard of, and they will have the greatest rewards in heaven because their motives were right. We're better. Whatever you want to put, I don't know how to articulate that. So don't think because you see somebody here, like we make them into a famous Christian leader, then that in heaven it's going to be that way because it's not. It's all based on through the heart, the motive of our heart. So, so he says right here, we can assassinate someone's character by what we say. Hello. Y'all know that church, right? We can assassinate someone's character. We can, we can commit murder of their character by what we say about them. So I want to tell you once again, this is, I haven't been doing this. I just remembered this last week, and I'm going to try my hardest to start doing this. Don't ever say anything behind someone's back that I would not say to their face. If I can do that, that will keep me mostly from that whole assassination of someone's character. Here's what the Heidelberg Catechism, 1563, a few years ago, back before the 1611 Bible is translated. Here's what they said. 
by forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that he regards all these as murder. So, when I came in here a while ago, I said, you know, how many times have you heard somebody say, well, I've never killed anybody, I've never stolen, so I'm a good person, so God's not going to send me to hell. Scratch all that now. Sermon on the Mount scratches all that out. But it shows me this, that I'm in need of a Savior. I'm in need to be rescued. i got to have someone else to help me out of this. That's my only hope in this. Hey, listen, tell you If you come walking in here this morning and you're saved, the Bible calls that being in Christ Jesus, and your shoulders are loaded down with a load of condemnation, then let me tell you something, that did not come from God. That came from the world, the flesh, or the devil, or all three. And he has freed you. When you came in Christ Jesus, he set you free from all of that. I don't know. You, you're, right now, some of you are thinking, yeah, but David, you don't know what I've done. Hey, listen, I know this, that there's only one unforgivable sin that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So anything else that you've done in that, you're in Christ Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's going to convict you. It's going to make you want to repent and turn the other direction and get you, save you from yourself. Oh, speaking of the flesh, so the Bible, right before the works of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, or the fruit of the Holy Spirit, says this. So here's what your flesh is trying to do to you. Y'all hear me this morning? Your flesh right now is trying to lead you into these things. Regardless of how good or how bad you think you are, okay, it doesn't really matter. You're, even though you're sitting here in church right now, when you leave out of here, at your weakest moments, man, whenever, whenever everything's unfolding in a certain direction, the world, the flesh, the devil's trying to get you to do these so the works of the flesh. He said, man, that's obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery. Look at this. Hatred. That's just what you feel in your heart. Strife. Can't get along with other people. Jealousy. Outbursts of anger. What? I thought that was a spiritual thing. Selfish ambitions. Dissensions and factions. That's in all of our churches, by the way. And envy. Drunkenness. Carousing. Anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice, right? Okay, so the Greek word right here is praiseix. Praiseix means indicating a pattern of behavior rather than an isolated incident. So anybody that's doing this over and over again never confesses, never repents. This is your lifestyle. Such things will not inherit the kingdom of God because that's indicating that there's no life transformation that took place in my heart. Hey, listen, are you saved today? The only way you know, you don't know you're saved because you said a prayer, right? It isn't because you got baptized, it isn't because you joined the church, it isn't because some preacher told you you're saved. The way you know you're saved is that your heart is being transformed. You're being changed from the inside out. When you get into sin, you're convicted. And it gives you the ability to repent, get out of it. You love people you normally wouldn't love. I mean, that's, those are indications that you are saved. But if you're miserable and hating and you got all these things right here that are just, this is your life. This is where you live right here. And you never, ever feel a smidgen of conviction. They don't tell you, you got something to be concerned about this morning. All right, y'all ready to get down to the good stuff? This is really painful right here, so get ready. Romans 12, 10 through 16. Paul writing to the church at Rome, he says, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Y'all remember last week we took the, looked at that? Here it is. We're going to start from there and go down from here. So take the, honor and take the lead in honoring one another because everybody's creating the image of God. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Man, if our churches were filled with people like that, oh, man. 
can keep people away. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Oh, that's a piece of cake. I can do that, right? <laughs> so we're talking about the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. These are things you cannot do in and of yourself. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. You need to wake up tomorrow morning. You need to be waking up praying. What's it saying right here? You need to be praying. Pray without ceasing is what the Bible says. Pray, pray, pray in every instance and in everything about everything and for everybody. Pray. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Man, you see someone, another brother, sister in need, you got the means, help them out. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Our natural tendency is to do the opposite of that. So this right here, we're talking about avoiding. We're talking about these are steps, number three on your outline, to avoid being overcome by evil. We'll get to those feelings in just a second. But these whole verses are about this. So like, hey, once again, listen, when someone's persecuting you, your natural fleshly tendency isn't going to be to bless them. We naturally want to come back, and you hurt me, I want to hurt you worse. Anybody glad they came to church this morning? Woo-hoo, man, all right, good. Let's hope you feel that way when we leave out. We got good stuff at the end, okay? Just endure this sermon, you'll be all right. On your outline, A, here we go. Man, this is tough. Easy to say, but hard to live. The only way to detach ourselves from what others have done to us is to detach ourselves from our prideful flesh. Whoo. That's going to hurt come tomorrow, by the way. It's so easy for me to get up here and preach this stuff, and I get tested like on Monday morning. It's like, it's like, okay, let's see, David. You said it. Let's see if you can do it now. That is hard to do right there because that, this comes down to me dying to myself. Hey, listen, I want to tell you something. One of the, I'm going to show you a few verses that have been the most quoted verses in my heart, and this is one of them right here, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. You see, that's our past tense. I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. This isn't about me anymore. You cannot hurt a dead person. How I know I get my feelings hurt, I know I'm not, I haven't died to Christ when you hurt my feelings. Put is quieted here right now. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's not about me anymore. It's not about my pride. It's not about what you say about me. Those things are all dead. I know that I'm not living dead to myself when I get my feelings hurt really easy. That's my pride when you hurt my feelings. B. We want God to fix our problems, and it might be that he is setting us free from repeating destructive patterns. Mm, man, I hurts to even say that. That is the truth out there. I mean, like, so many times we want God to do a removing job, and he's trying to do an improving job. Get me out of this, God, man. Just come bring the helicopter and rescue me out. I can't handle these people. I can't handle this anymore. I can't do it. And then we get out, and we get into a new location, and we go right back into our same patterns. Well, these people over here are mean too, man. I gotta find another place. Go to the other place. Get in there and oh, everybody's great first. And then these people here are all mean too, man. Everywhere I go, it's mean people. Okay, so it may just be that I'm in a destructive pattern. Okay? Now, hey, listen, I'm gonna tell you something. Like I said, this is easy to say, but this is hard to live. So you gotta understand something. When you hit hard times with people, it may just be that God is trying to rescue you from your destructive patterns. And I'll tell you something. Listen, I'm, if you don't realize you've got destructive patterns, then denial is not just a river in Egypt, my friend. Because you do. Because you got flesh and you got pride 
and you need help. And you need the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you. It's not good if everybody else is recognizing my destructive patterns and I'm blind to them. Romans 12, we're going to keep on. So these steps are here continuing on. We rejoice with those who rejoice because I can rejoice with someone who's rejoicing when I'm not envious and jealous. Weep with those who weep. So I'm going to be brokenhearted for others. And I'm not going to be sitting back and going, man, they finally got it coming to them. I'm so glad. But I'm going to be like brokenhearted. Listen, I'm talking about the people who hurt you and persecuted you, by the way, not your friends. Because there are people that persecute us and they get it. We're like, oh, <laughs> told y'all it's going to happen to them. Sooner or later, go and get them. But whenever they are hurt, if we hurt with them, then we know now that we have died to ourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Man, if we just do that in the church, we'll be doing good. We can't even do that in our own homes, and our own church most of the time. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. What? That's a, making the assumption that we're all prideful. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. I am the smartest person I know, by the way. If everybody else was as smart as I would, would all be good. I'm being facetious right now. You know people that they're, listen, you can't speak truth into them because they are the smartest people they know. I done quit preaching with the meddling, didn't I? <laughs> Don't repay anyone evil for evil. There's a command right there, by the way. It's not a suggestion. So when somebody hurts you, listen, the biblical way to respond is not to return the pain back to them. Oh, man, listen, I don't get mad. I just get even. That will get you in trouble. Okay? Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Now, listen, I want to tell you something. Have you ever extracted revenge on someone and then the people who loved you were hurt when they saw you extract that revenge? Even if they thought that that other person deserved it and then they saw you get that revenge? Listen, I know y'all all looking all holy right now, keeping your, your poker face going right now. But I know, and I know that some of you dudes too, that you extracted your revenge physically and you won the fight. And when it was all said and done, you felt terrible. Never will forget, when I was a boy, I didn't start the fight, by the way. I'm in front of you telling you the truth. But another kid started the fight. I fought with a boy. Never will forget. Boy, it hit me so hard. And I turned around, you know, and all my buddies came up. Like, oh, man, way to go, yeah. We're all walking along there, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we showed him and everything. And I looked over my shoulder, and there this boy was walking by himself crying. And I want to tell you something, that crushed my heart. Because in that moment, I turned around and I looked at him, and I saw all the pain that he was feeling and all by himself. Um, that picture stuck in my mind the rest of my life. So here's what I can tell you. you the, your flesh and the world and the devil is telling you a lie, and they're telling you you need to hurt that person. And whenever, listen, unauthorized violence against them is violence against God. So if possible, hey, listen, Look at this. You got to look at this on the screen. As far as it depends on you. There's some people this doesn't work with. There's some people that you got to love from a distance. There's some people you got to honor from a distance. Are you with me now? There's some people that have abused you, and if you get back in there, they will continue to abuse you. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There's some people that you got to live at peace at a distance and love them and honor them from a distance. Nothing wrong with that. Healthy for you. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, 
Leave room for God's wrath because when you avenge yourself, what you do is you get up on God's throne, you take his place, you become God. This is when you don't, when you step back and you let God take care of it, now he's the one. Because it is written, quoting from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 32, 35, that's why it's capitalized right there. Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. But listen, listen. Got to get this, okay? You may not see it. Are you okay with that? See, because we think we got to see it. I mean, the question is, do I really trust God? And I'm going to sit back, and even if I don't see it, I never hear, am I okay to understand that he is going to be the one to extract vengeance? But if your enemy is hungry, then you feed him. Oh, man. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing... You'll be heaping fiery coals on his head. So back in their culture, in their time, when someone felt um, guilt for what they had done wrong, what they would do is they'd put coals in a pan, they'd get them hot, and they would put them on their head, and they'd walk around the community with those hot coals on their heads as a demonstration for, okay, what I did was wrong, and this right here is a demonstration of me carrying this on my head to everybody around me that what I've done is wrong, and I feel wrong for this, and I want to demonstrate it to you. So when he says, you'll be heaping fiery coals on their head, he said, that's what you're doing. So when you step back, you don't take vengeance. You don't go around and, and find people that are on your side. Hey, hey, listen, do you know what David did to me? Do you know what he said to me? Oh, he did. Oh, well, we don't like him. Yeah, we're all in this camp over here. We all, we're David haters. And then this camp over here, you know, all the people over here, they're like, oh, you see those people over there? Yeah, we're all hating that person, you know. And it's like, then we get our, we get our sides all pulled up, and we do this in the church. And we wonder, why don't people want to come join us in the church? Because we do this stupid stuff right here in the church. Do not be conquered by evil. You ever been conquered by evil before? Mm. But conquer evil with good, and the only good is Jesus. The only good that can change our heart is the blood of Jesus. So King David, no testament. Chapter 24, he's running from King Saul. King Saul's out to kill him. David and his mighty men of warriors. David was in his, in his probably his mid-20s at this point. Man, I mean, listen, I'll tell you something. The dude was a bad dude. I mean, I'm a bad dude. Like, no, he won all the battles he fought. That's what I'm saying. He and his mighty men, you didn't mess with them. Saul's trying to come kill David. David's off in the back of this cave hiding from Saul because he doesn't want to do anything hurtful to Saul. Saul comes into the cave to relieve himself. Gets in the most, you know, non-defensive place he can get in, right there in the cave. He doesn't see David and his men. David's men turn to David and said, the, the Lord has delivered you, him, your enemy into your hands. Go strike him down. And David says, how can I kill God's anointed king? See, I mean, God had already anointed David as king when he was a teenage boy, but he hadn't appointed him yet. See, there's about... 10 to 20 years between the anointing and the appointing where David gets chased all over the place by Saul. Saul trying to kill him. Oh man, it's a whole other sermon itself right there. That's good stuff. I gotta let that go. That rabbit's gotta go. See you later. So <laughs> David goes up and cuts off, cuts off the hem of his garment. When Saul goes back out, David goes out and he holds it up right there in front of him. He goes, hey Saul, man, check out your garment down there, bro. He looks down there. There it is. Saul sees all of a sudden David spared his life. It's a wonderful, wonderful illustration of humility and letting God 
take control. But just because you did it today doesn't mean you're going to do it tomorrow. Just because you did right today doesn't mean tomorrow is automatic. You got that? Because tomorrow comes and tomorrow starts off bad. We go from a highlight of the wonderful music to the, to the, to the sad, painful music. Because right here, Samuel dies. The man who anointed him to be the next king, he dies. And don't think that didn't mess with David's heart and his mind. He goes through a traumatic life change right here whenever Samuel dies. You ever been through one of those? Because sometimes it will mess with your mind. So he passed away, and David moved down to the wilderness of Maon. And there was a wealthy man in Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it was sheep shearing time. So this man's name was Nabal, which means fool. <laughs> who named that dude? And his kids and his parents. His wife, Abigail, was a sensible and beautiful woman. But Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all of his dealings because he's named something to that. Okay, so David goes, and what he does is he takes his mighty men, and they come around during the sheep shearing time, and he guards all of Nabal's sheep and his men, and nobody touches them. Because when they're out there doing the, the shearing and everything, they're vulnerable to attacks. So David just guards them. So like whenever, whenever soldiers would come in and do this, it was kind of like after it's all over with, you give them an honorarium. You know, you're like, okay, we're going to give you some of our meat, some of the stuff. Thank you for guarding us. Everything went better because you guys were here. That's just how it went. So after it's all over with, David sent his men up to Nabal and said, hey, you know, we were out there that whole time. Nobody got, because I imagine anybody that didn't see David and his men be like, let's go the other direction. Nobody messed with them. So he goes in there and says, hey, you know, what about the honorarium? Who is this fellow, David Nabal, sneered to the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? Well, he knows who David is. He even knows who his daddy is. There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to the band of outlaws who's come from who knows where? Oh, see, there's a lot of I and mine and me and that, isn't there? So David's young man returned and told what Nabal, I said, now, do you remember what I just told you about David, how humble he was, how he let Saul? Get your swords, David replied. It's the first time you see him say that. Boy, I mean, this elicits a reaction in his heart that's different from anything he's ever done before. Get your swords, was David's reply as he strapped his own. Then 400 men started off with David and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. So these mighty men right here, these are like the Navy, 400 Navy SEALs in our day and time. There, nobody's going to win against them. These, are, these guys coming in, that means destruction. It means that everybody's about to fall down, okay? So they take the word back to Abigail, and they said, man, Nabal's messed up. David and his mighty men are headed this direction. So she tells, go fix a whole bunch of food, because you don't wait till a man's heart's through his stomach, right? <laughs> they go make a whole bunch of delicious food. And she gets on there, and she starts heading out with all this food, and she goes heading out to where David is. And whenever she meets David, when she saw David, she quickly got off her donkey, and she bowed low before him. She fell on his feet. She said, I accept all blame in this matter. <laughs> she had nothing to do with it. I blame also in this matter. My Lord, please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He's a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young men that you sent. Now, my Lord, as surely as, and she's going to start preaching now. 
So he's going to start bringing in the covenant agreement that God has with him, the anointing that God has made with him, the promises that God has over his life. Listen to me, church. The kingdom purpose that God has over this man's life. So he starts to bring this into alignment with what he's doing right now. Man, how many times have I needed someone to come along when I'm having a fit and bring my, my kingdom purpose up there in front of me and say, David, remember, here is your kingdom purpose. You're going to go do this and that kingdom purpose? As surely as Yahweh lives and as your servant lives, since Yahweh has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. And there is a present, and here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and to your young man. Brings out all the food right there. Please forgive me if I've offended you in any way. Yahweh will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting Yahweh's battles, and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life, even when you were chased by those who seek to kill you. Your life is safe in the care of Yahweh, your Elohim, secure in his treasure pouch. But... The lives of your enemies will be disappear like stones from a sling. When Yahweh had done all that he promised and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this blem be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when Yahweh has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. Man, that is a sermon right there, isn't it? She says, okay, listen, you know, God's been good to you. He's going to take care of you. You haven't blemished by murdering somebody, so don't do that now. David replied to Abigail, praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, for he has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. So David right here said, man, I was about to break the commandment. I was about to take vengeance. I, this, is not, this is not killing. This is murder. For I swear by Yahweh, the Elohim of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. Then David accepted her presence and told her, return home in peace. I've heard what you said. We will not kill your husband. When Abigail arrived home, she found that Nabal was throwing a big party and that he was celebrating like a king. He was very drunk. So she didn't tell him anything about her meeting with David until the next day. In the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him what had happened. As a result, he had a stroke and he lay paralyzed on his bed like a stone. About 10 days later, Yahweh struck him and he died. And then Abigail, result of this, became David's wife. What a story of someone rescuing David from vengeance. Hmm? What a story of somebody bringing truth into a situation whenever a lie was leading a great man of God like David. You know what an emulsifier is? Well, if you don't, you're about to learn. An emulsifier is a component that brings together two substances that would naturally separate, creating a unified mixture. So in mayonnaise, you've got oil and you've got water. The emulsifying agent in that is eggs. So it brings these two things, oil and water, that would naturally be separated, would not come together, put the egg in there, mix them together very carefully, and these two become one, and now it becomes a cream, something very smooth. It becomes a unified mixture. So the emulsifying agent for all of us is the cross. 
We've got all these different sinners coming from all these different backgrounds, all of us coming with all of our stuff, all of our different backgrounds, all of our different opinions, all this stuff, and here is the emulsifying agent. This is a thing that changes all of us, transforms all of us into the body of Christ. That's an amazing thing, by the way, isn't it? Here's what the Bible says. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. So don't expect the person sitting next to you to think, believe, and act the same way you do. Don't expect other people at church. Listen, being unified doesn't mean we all act and believe and behave the same. Okay? It means that we are unified on a point here, and that point is this right here. It's the gospel. It's the cross. It's our position in Christ Jesus. That's what makes us all into the body of Christ. We are naturally drawn to people like us. And then when we go to church, we naturally want people like us in the same church, people that believe the same thing, act the same way, look the same way, on and on and on. And I'm here to tell you this morning, that is not the gospel. We should be different, eclectic. We should be, when we, should be, we should be varied in every possible way we possibly can be and be rejoicing over that. So listen, it's okay for you to want your family to be like you. Your kids, it's okay if you want your kids to be like you. Nothing wrong with that. That's all great. It's okay if, if you want to have friends that have the same interests you have and stuff like that. But it's not okay when we do that as a church culture. Okay? So, like, we should be celebrating our differences instead of getting angry about them. We've got the one thing that brings us all together is the cross. It's Christ Jesus. Now listen, have you ever felt like an outcast? Have you ever been an outcast? There should never be an outcast sitting in this room. There should never be a person that sits in this room and says, I feel alone. There should never be a person that comes here and sits down and looks around and goes, man, look at all these happy families and I'm divorced and struggling and just trying to find hope. Anybody that comes into this building should find hope, should not feel different. That should be the truth of every church, not just this church. Yeah. Last point. The power of the cross to bring people together and make peace should move us to deal with disagreements and rifts in the church with humility and a desire to follow Jesus' example of restoration and unity. Because it's inevitable. We're going to have rifts we're going to have disagreements. If you've got all these different people, different opinions, all this stuff coming together, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. But we should all look at Jesus' example and be a person like Abigail that's doing everything that we can to bring people together to the cross. Two more verses for you this morning. So that, that, uh, those, that list of memory verses you got, two more to add to that one, okay? You start working on this one tomorrow morning along with those other verses you're memorizing. Here it is right here. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. So why would I put that verse up there with everything we just talked about? So when you start thinking murderous thoughts about that person you hate, that person that's doing you wrong, 
See, right now, some of y'all are like, oh, I've been thinking about that person right now as you've been preaching. <laughs> Holy Spirit done been working on me on that, all right? Feel bad enough. Okay, so look, so here's what you got to do. You've got to start with your thought life. That person may be living in your house. Well, that's rough when that person lives in your house with you. You may be married to that person, and that's rough. But you got to start with your thought life. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Am I thinking about the image of God in that person, or am I hating them and wanting to destroy them and thinking terrible thoughts about them? If I'm taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ about that person, I'm not going to be thinking hateful, mean thoughts about them. And they're still not going to act right. Okay? But you are going to change the way that you think if you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to do that. Hey, that prayer guide out there in the resource room, that prayer guide's also on our website, has these verses and how you pray these, by the way. The next one's Philippians 4.8. So this is how I pray this right here. God, help me take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ concerning that person. That's how I say that. Here's another one right here. Whatever is true. Because sometimes, man, I start believing the lie. Was David believing the lie? I if he's going to go, go, go kill Nabal. He's believing the lie, wasn't he? So whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Man, if I could just change the way that I think. See, listen, some of y'all, you need to think, change the way you think about yourself. So if you're saved, then you're in Christ Jesus. You're born again. You're a child of God. These are all, this, this is the truth about you. Don't listen. Listen, it's not the devil doing all that. It's the world and the flesh getting in on the game. Your own flesh trying to convince you that you're not worthy. You're not good enough. All those lies. Hey, listen, I can tell you right now, you're good enough because Jesus died on the cross for you. You're just, listen, it's not about us being good or bad or anything like that. It's not about your behavior. It's about your position. Let's all stand this morning. I don't want to do this, and you don't want me to do this. But I can tell you what I could do right now. I could go down a list in my mind and list off a bunch of people that I've murdered in my mind. I don't want to do that, and you don't want to hear that. No. I'm, I'm saying that to tell you this right now, so that don't be in here right now and think, oh, I'm the only one that's thought that, or I'm the only one that's done that, because you're not. And so whenever, so you know, in studying this this past week, as I was going through and reading this, so this, this verse that we just got through looking at, do not murder, once again, so in our Christian, American Christianity, most of the preachers, matter of fact, I didn't see a single one or any of the commentaries that did not talk about abortion with this verse. And you know, so like, you might notice that you don't hear me talk about that very much, and, and here's why I don't talk about that very much. It's because it becomes a politic, po politically in char charged something that drives into our culture of Christianity where we all rally around this one thing, and we talk about how horrible it is, how terrible it is, and all that kind of stuff. So let me, let me tell you something. So I've been far enough down the road to know this, that when I'm in a, you got well over 100, probably got close to 300 people here this morning. 
There's multiple people in here that have done that. So here's what I can tell you. Don't let that be the condemnation that destroys you, okay? You can be forgiven of that just like I can be forgiven of the murderous thoughts in my heart. You can be forgiven. The blood of Jesus covers that too. So don't be standing here this morning and thinking, oh man, David got through this. David didn't talk about abortion. Thank the Lord. No, it's not that. Okay, so I'm not trying to avoid that. I'm just trying to help you understand that's not the driving force that I feel in my heart. The driving force I feel in my heart is our attitude towards other people. That's the drive. When I, when I see this verse, that's what driving force I felt all week long. So if, I'm, if anybody's going to be condemned, then it's me. I'm condemned. I stand condemned, except for I'm under the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. So I no longer stand condemned. I've been redeemed by the blood. What was lost, what was headed for hell, has been brought back to life from death to life. So do you believe that God can forgive you? all your sins, then whatever that worst sin is that you feel so much condemnation over, that one too. See, some of you right now, God's already forgiven you, and you need to forgive yourself. You need to forgive yourself. You need to join him in that forgiveness. So we're about to take communion. And after communion, we're going to have baptism and, you know, we're going to get crazy and cheer and have a good time and rejoice and, you know, like we should as God's people. I mean, I, I, whenever, whenever people get baptized, I think that up in heaven, there's probably a couple of angels that like, what was that? And they're like, oh, that's those people down there at the Bridge Fellowship. They're baptizing more people today. And I think it should be that way. The man that just heaven shakes a little bit whenever somebody gets baptized, you know, and that we should rejoice in that. But before we do that, we're going to have communion, the most sacred, holy thing that we do here on earth. Man. And the only way that any of us can do this is because of the blood of Jesus. So if you're in Christ, you're saved, you're being transformed from the inside out, and you're welcome to take communion with us. This is open communion. So that's between you and God. So we have the elements at the front and at the back. So what I ask you to do is just come out, take your time, make your way to the elements, get them. And when you get back to your seat, just have a seat. And when I see that everybody has had a seat, we will continue on.
So how was your week this past week? You know, think about that for a moment. Some of you, you know, you might have had a good week, great week. Some of you might have had like, ah, oh, just another week. Let me talk to you. those of you that are like, man, this past week was a rough week. Let me, let me talk to you for just a moment. I got some good news for you if you're in Christ Jesus. The new heaven and new earth, there's going to be no bad weeks. That whenever you stand in the presence of God on that day, those things that stressed you out this past week will not matter. Those struggles you had this past week, two minutes after you die, they will not matter. They'll be gone. All that's going to matter on that day is your relationship with Jesus. And how when you were here and now, how you joined him in what he's doing. The kingdom work you did here, that's what's going to matter on that day. That's all that's going to matter. So the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. It's foolishness to them. But we who are being saved... Currently in the process, it's happened, but it's happening, and it will continue to happen. We know that it is the very power of God. In Greek, that says, dunamis ha theos, the power, the dynamite, dynamite power of God. Because it changes us from the inside out. That person that did those terrible things, I'm not that person anymore. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's that thing that brings everything together. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. Man, I've died to that. It's not about getting ahead anymore. It's not about envy. It's not about being better than other people. It, I've died to this. And this world's interest in me has also died. Mm, that's good. One more. So Jesus personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. So it says in, in John that whenever Jesus came back, after the crucifixion, that he had holes in his hand and in his side. You know, I've heard all those great songs about the nail-scarred hands. Well, the Bible doesn't say they were scarred. It says that they had holes. I, I, we could, I can make a good, I don't know, I can make a good point about no scars in heaven. There's a hole right there. The Bible talks over and over again about those those wounds that he bore for us so that we can be saved. So, so here's, I bring you back here once again, like we do every week. I've got to bring you back to this one verse. It's essential to who you are in Christ, to your position in Christ, because there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Can you let that go today? Can you accept the full forgiveness? Can you allow God to help you forgive yourself? Can you allow God to help you to forgive that person that tormented you, that abused you? Can you allow God to 
let you forgive yourself for your worst mistakes? Can you let it go into the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west? No longer exists? Can you do that? For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's go ahead and open up and take out the wafer. So what we're doing here is we are remembering. Remembering that the body of Christ, that he laid down that. So our worst sins, what our estimation, whatever we think that is, can be totally forgiven. So in just a moment, here's what I want to ask you to do. Okay, because I've been guilty of this. When we take this, take your time and think about what you're doing. Don't be hurried through it and trying to get the juice open. Think about what you're doing. Think about when you're chewing on this, what you're doing. The simulation of this representation of the body of Christ into your life. You are one with Christ Jesus. So something very mysterious and very beautiful that happens in this moment. We're at the table with Jesus, communing with him. So if you want to, you can pray with me. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for your body. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins. You're my God. You're my King. You're my Lord. And you're my Savior. Now let's eat. Think about what you're doing. Yes, thank you, Lord. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance. Key right here, remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's go ahead and open up the juice. Oh, the blood of Jesus that covers all of our sins. I think about, I just keep coming back as we're in Exodus, keep coming back to that Father going and, and taking the Passover lamb and spreading that blood over the doorpost right there. And then they all were under that atonement. Atonement means covering. They were all under that atoning blood. And then everybody that was in, all the family that was under that, under that atonement, in that house, they were saved from the wrath of God that the death angel passed by. And so now, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, we're under that blood, that atoning. We bring our life under that, under his authority rule, and now the wrath of God passes over us. So you got to understand this. That doesn't work if you think some of your sins are not forgiven. It's over. It covers all of your sins. You're in Christ Jesus. You're in that, and the wrath of God passes over. So, like, all of your sins have been forgiven. So you want to pray with us, pray. So dear Jesus, thank you for your blood. Thank you for the new covenant. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. You're my God. You're my King. You're my Lord. And you're my Savior. Let's drink in faith.
you know, I, uh, I'm supposed to know what we're doing, but I don't. Are we doing the baptism next? Yeah, a lot of stuff went through my mind since we, had, we planned it all out. Yeah, so communion, what a wonderful, wonderful thing. Baptism, you know, you think about this. So Jesus commanded us to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He was baptized by John the Baptist himself. So hear me this morning. This does not save you, okay? This is, you know, we don't do this to be saved. We do this because we are saved. So this is, this is an act of obedience from, from these candidates you see right here that have all made professions of faith in Christ Jesus. So what this represents is a death and a burial to the old life, old person, and a resurrection to new life in Christ Jesus. So is this important? It is vitally important, yes. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say this isn't important or it's just a symbol or anything like that. There's something, there is something supernatural and something mysterious that happens in this just like there is in communion. So this is a wonderful thing. And you know, like, as we've been praying for these that are getting baptized, we've been praying that, that you know, God would stir in their hearts, that he would, the Holy Spirit would just take this and tattoo this on their brain, that they will remember this moment. You know I mean? Like, I can remember the moment when I was 11 years old and my pastor dunked me under the water. I remember that moment. And it wasn't just because the heater wasn't working, the water was cold. I remember it because it was special to my heart. Do you remember that moment? Oh, listen. Remember it. Rejoice for them and rejoice for what God has done in your heart all at the same time. This is the time to celebrate, dear church. What a wonderful, wonderful thing this is. Okay, Case, come on down. Donnie, come on up. Father and son right here. One too long ago, Donnie was getting dunked under the water here. This is his son, Case. He and Frankie right here. She's doing the filming. Donnie's also the one that had the Bible text memorized this morning. Man, what a, what a morning for you, Donnie. You've been an active participant in so much here, and you know his son, Case. So as you, you might can tell by looking at how Case's face is glowing, he is excited about this. And you know, Donnie was talking to me before we came in here earlier, and he said, you know, what thrills, Donnie said, what thrills me is that this isn't anything that we made Case do. This is something that he wanted to do on his own. God stirred in his heart. And this is something that's between him and God. And, you know, that's something that, that brings Frankie and Donnie such comfort and that they didn't pressure their kid into getting baptized, got baptized or saying a prayer, but that this was God, the Holy Spirit, working. Donnie, would you say that not just working in Case's life, but he's been working in your whole family? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah he says. <laughs> so, Case, do you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Do you believe that when you asked him to forgive you of your sins, that he forgave you of all your sins? 
Do you believe that one of these days when you leave this life that you'll go to heaven to be with him? Those are pretty strong words you said right there, brother. So I'm going to take it that you really believe what you're saying right there. And that upon your profession of faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you. All right, I'm Chuck, and this is my good friend, Wyatt Norell. And uh, Wyatt and I have known each other a few years now, and uh, in the last couple of years, on Wednesday nights, we've seen each other pretty regularly. He comes up for our kids' nights, and uh, he's in my breakout small group. And one of the things that I so appreciate about him, and I want you to know, is when it comes time for our serious serious time and we're going to open the bible and consider what god has for us and read the verses together Wyatt is always sitting right there next to me and he is tuned in so uh so grateful for that now Wyatt, i know that you have uh, you understand you, you've been saved is that right can you tell us what that means what is, what is being saved about what is what is salvation it means a lot that jesus died on the cross to save us Amen. Give him a hand on that, would you? Good. And you, you believe that, is that right? Yes. Good. Tell me, uh, now today you're, you're getting baptized. What, what is baptism about? Why do you want to be baptized? Is there something you want people to know? We, talk, we talked about it. he wants pe you, you want people to know that you got saved. Is that right? All right, good. All right, very good. Okay, Jeff, would you come hold my microphone? Because you have believed in your heart and professed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, it's my honor, my brother, to baptize you in the name of the Father, hold your nose, the Son. You brought me blessings out of What an awesome day. Come on, Dylan. What's up, buddy? So let's tell everybody your name. Dylan. Dylan what? Montevias. Montevias? Okay. So Dylan, what are we here for today? To get baptized. And what does that mean to you? That you're saved. Well. Like to know that you're saved. To know that you're saved, yes. So, okay. So, are we are we going public with our faith today by joining God's team and letting everybody know that you're on God's team? Yes. Yeah. Did 
Do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. All right. We want to celebrate that? Yes. All right. We're going to do that here in just a moment. Okay. Come here, hand. All right, Dylan. All right, you ready? So put your hand over your nose. All right, so Dylan, today I baptize you in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And now I'm walking, walking, walking free. No more darkness, guilt has lost its grip on me. When mercy called my name, those chains fell at my feet. And now I'm walking. Omar, come on, buddy. All right, man. Man, this guy, this guy is the life right here. What's going on? How are you? Good. Good deal, good deal. So we're here today. So Omar made a, a profession of faith at, at church camp um, this summer. We've been talking to him for a while. And uh, he made it crystal clear to us this summer that, that uh, he made a decision to follow Jesus. And so he came to our, our kid faith class, and we met with him and his family and so Omar uh, understands what it means to follow Jesus. And what, what did Jesus do for you? He died on the cross for our sins. Amen, brother. Amen. And so we taught these, these children uh, that, that once that happens, one of the things that God tells us to do is to go public with our faith and to let everyone know, right, that we have joined God's team. And that's what we're here to do today. You ready to do that? Yes. All right, buddy. Come on. Omar, let's, uh, let's cover your nose. Okay. All right, so Omar, I baptize you in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Go, Marcus. Tell everyone your name. They, they know now part of it, but let's say the rest. Marcus Mangari. So, so this dude, this dude, I just got to gotta tell on you. Is that okay? All right. So th this morning, he came into our little pre-meeting, and uh, I said, okay, anybody that's not going into kids today, um, go into big church. I realize in our small group, he's sitting in there, my small dude's in seventh grade. I'm like, what? Like, what's he doing? Because I was thinking, man, he is so well behaved. Now I know why. <laughs> All right, man. So, uh, do you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. All right, man. Are you ready to be baptized? Let everyone know you're on God's team? Yes. All right, let's do this. Okay, Marcus, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Alright, now, I'm going to embarrass you. 
Okay, come here. This guy's been around for a long time. Face the crowd. What are you doing, buddy? Face the crowd. This guy, who knows who Indiana Jones is? Harrison Ford. Tell me he does not look like a young version of Indiana Jones. Huh? Who agrees with that? All right. All right. On a serious note, um, we've been talking to Bryson about Jesus for a long time. And Bryson, what has Jesus done for you? Died on the cross for us. What did he do for you? It's not a trick question. Did he do it for you? Yes. Did he? Yes. Okay. You believe that? Yes. You want to follow him? Yes. Okay. All right. You ready to go public with your faith today? Let everybody know you're on God's team? Yes. Huh? yes. All right. Let's do this. All right, Bryson, I baptize you in the name of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So we're going to just watch a really quick uh, video on, on our, about our adult ministries that are starting up at the beginning of September that we heard the announcement earlier. Just kind of watch this, but just understand this is now the next step. You know, part of what we do here at the bridge is we make disciples who make disciples, but we have to help people understand and know the word of God. And that's what Monday Night Adult Ministries is about. If you participate in that, we always have child care for you as well so that you can grow in your faith, so that you can rightly divide the word of God. So watch this video and then David will come in and close out the service. Frankie. We are the Pollies, and we want to share with you what a blessing the re-engaged marriage ministry has been in our lives. In 2020, I left Donnie and I filed for divorce. I could no longer stay in that marriage, and I had decided to take a stand. I was putting myself first, and that's where the real trouble started. Our marriage had been in trouble for years. I had been using a phrase that sounds funny now, but it was not funny at the time. Uh, when our son, oldest son was a baby, I had asked Donnie to get up with him in the night. And he looked at me in all seriousness and said, I'm not doing that. That is not fun for me. After years of I'm not doing that, it's not fun for me, my wife was at her wit's end. She left, and I felt very hopeless. But I could not give up on our marriage. Our lives fell apart, but I had met Justin Ward, and he invited me to the bridge. When I heard about re-engage, I'd asked my wife to go, and I didn't know if she would. I was praying and I knew my community group was praying for us also. All I could do was to ask God to do what only He can do. I thought He was nuts for asking. I didn't like Him, and who agrees to go to a marriage class after you file for a divorce? I agreed to go. I wasn't even sure why. However, I left um, every Monday. I left re-engage with a heart that was gradually softening towards my husband. God was working on my heart despite my attitude. He knew I needed my husband better than I did. 
Each week, we both grew not only back together, but more importantly, closer to the Lord. God was growing us through re-engage. We were learning to stay in our own circles, to understand each other's needs, and to put our spouse first, and how to communicate. Or, in my case, how to keep my mouth shut. Thanks, Butch. Re-engage not only helped us salvage our broken marriage, but it continues to help it thrive. This is God's marriage. Who are we to break it apart? In Re-Engage, you connect closely with a small group of other Christians. It is such a valuable asset. Fellowship and having other couples come alongside you and pray with you and for you is so important. Mondays have become a day we set aside for our marriage to reconnect and spend time together hearing each other. We do this because of the things we learned in Re-Engage. Re-Engage is for any married couple at any stage. Yes, we are proof that re-engage can help the Lord work and save a marriage that is beyond repair. But we are also proof that it can help a solid marriage get even better. We have had a marriage that was great at times. We have had a bad marriage, and at some points it has just been an okay marriage. We believe that re-engage is beneficial for all married couples and can help strengthen and bring new life to your relationship through God. If you or your spouse are interested in re-engage, or even if you're not in some cases. Re-Engage will start on September 11th. It is a 14 week long course. Meetings are held during adult ministry night on Mondays from 6.30 to 8 at the Student Center. Child care is provided. If you're married, we hope to see you there. If you know a couple that could benefit from this and they do not attend the bridge, please invite them. It is open to the community. Yes, if you would, you please stand. Man, Donna, you got a lot of airtime today. <laughs> so the, uh, the, yeah, you know, just like they were saying, re-engaged for everybody. Melissa and I went through the uh, pilot group, and man, we were stronger as a result of going through it also. So it, if, hey, if you want your marriage to be stronger, here's your opportunity starting off here in just a few weeks. So let's pray this morning as we head out. Thank God for his grace. God, we thank you today for your grace and your mercy. God, we thank you for all of these um, young guys that came through and were baptized. God, we pray for them. We pray for their kingdom purpose, God, that they will know that as they grow and that, God, we pray that you put within their hearts a desire to seek you, to be a part of church fellowship, and we pray for us and all the other churches they'll be a part of the rest of their lives, God, that that all of us will just be a part of what you're doing and you're stirring and their kingdom purpose in, in their lives, oh God. God, we thank you for our, our ministries. We thank you for re-engage and all the other things that take place here on Monday night that's just enriching souls and help us draw closer to you. We're grateful for that. God, we thank you today that your grace, your mercy covers over all of our sins. Every single sin, we're so grateful. We're so thankful that you removed those as far as the east is from the west that were under your atoning blood today, God. We're so grateful for that. So this morning as you leave out, I want to pray this blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace as you go in Jesus' name.